Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Uh, you can probably hear my kettle boiling in the background. I'm about to make myself a cup of tea. This episode is with Mitch Alexander, who is a philosopher or po- philosophy postgrad and a heavy metal vocalist and a stand-up comedian, a really interesting guy who I have uh, had a lot of good conversations with and finally pinned down to have a podcast with a couple of months ago. And then that podcast ended up being horrible in terms of sound quality so this is the second go at the podcast uh we talked about different things than we'd intended to talk about but i always like doing that that's the point of having a conversation is they're not having the same conversation more than once or at least not too many times more than once uh anyway so thank you everybody who's been supporting me on patreon patreon.com slash alice fraser is the place to go if you want to do that it helps me so much in terms of getting the podcast out there and not costing me money to buy tea for my guests and to host the podcast Uh, I really appreciate that it's a wonderful thing if you can't or don't want to give money you can still read my blogs up at patreon.com slash Alice Fraser or you can uh, tweet about the podcast or tell your friends about the podcast or give it a rating on iTunes uh, of five stars if you if, if you do want to give it a rating that would be good it helps all the all the little bits of stuff help like that or tweeting one of my guests saying how much you enjoyed listening to the podcast that's always nice because it means they're more likely to come on or they're more likely to get their friends to come on and then I get more and more interesting people to talk to anyway that all aside I'm back in Australia this week um, from London so I'm, I'm back for just a week doing various bits and pieces and then I'm going back to London then I'm going to Edinburgh from there so again if you have friends in Edinburgh or want to go see the resistance uh, tell them 8.15 at the Gilded Balloon is the place and then Savage for the last two weeks at midday at the City Cafe or follow me on Twitter at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. Oh my God. Don't want to complain about jet lag, but seriously, the sun is only only vaguely indicative of what time it is in my head at any given moment of the day or night. Um, good, good. Anyway, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I am a little bit um, maybe scattered and rambly, but not not hugely more than usual. So I hope it won't affect your listening experience. Uh, email me at alicerfraser at gmail.com if you want to say hi or just enjoy listening or don't enjoy listening. Just listen. Uh, you're having tea with Alice. What you should do is tell people who you are and where you fit in in the world. <laughs> um, my name is Mitch Alexander. I st- I'm a postgrad philosophy student. I perform heavy metal vocals and comedy. I'm not sure if that's who I am or I don't know how that fits into the world. I think I f- well, as a philosophy student, you should be well up on the difference between between a, a man's role in life and his essence i'm i'm aware but as a as someone who studies philosophy i just know by how much we don't know <laughs> where <laughs> it all works yeah you know about eight different ways of telling yeah. someone else how little they know about anything exactly yeah all I, i'm just really good at telling people that we don't really know much of anything there's no use worrying but maybe there is we don't know <laughs> and 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 you which of those is your favorite thing or do they only make you happy in combination with one another yeah i'm not sure i've because i have thought about how everything when you do 
such different things, it's really easy to be an undergrad student and a start an opening band and an open mic comic because none of them take up too much of the time. But when you start to get to a semi-professional stage, there is always that risk of I'm going to have to choose. And I've, I've already gotten to a point where I've wondered if I cut even one of them out, if I'd be further along with the other ones. Yeah, and arguably there's a fourth thing that you're not doing because you're feeling three different needs with those three different yeah. parts. The, the issue is that there's, there's countless things that I could be doing and that I could be even better mm. at. <laughs> but, but I've never, maybe, I'm a, maybe I am a genius level carpenter, but I've got no interest in doing it. And so yeah. I will never attempt to do it. And that will never be realised, which is, which is fine for me because I don't enjoy doing it. To answer, to answer the question initially, those three things all fulfil different things. Yes. I, I, get, I get different things out of them. The, the music and the comedy are, co- are closer than academia, obviously. There's a, the, the performance element, but even the performance is different, I yeah. think. I think the best music... Well, certain heavy metal is very different from... Comedy. Comedy. <laughs> sort of. They can be as ridiculous. I mean, b- both are articulations of primal scream therapy <laughs> one way or the other. One's just a literal version of. <laughs> the other one tries to hide it behind dick jokes. Well, Existential screaming in comedy. I had you on this podcast before, but the file died, didn't work. Yeah. Um, but you were talking there about the people's um, willingness to conflate quality of comedy with quality of human. Yeah, totally. As in, we project way too much in terms of personality. I, I mean, I was recently at the uh, AAP mm-hmm. the conference, which is the Australasian Association of Philosophy conference. It's my first ever one. And the similarities, I'd, I'd had the suspicion for a while. I'd known that a lot of academia is networking and things like that. Mm. It was really disappointing to see it very obviously that it's so similar to comedy. It's so similar to music in the ways that like there are n- there's networking, there's people that are dickheads that no one talks about. There were, and I would like to talk to you about this, there were a number of times where I'm sitting with some of my cohort and the women start talking amongst themselves about, yeah, watch out for that guy, he's a creepy old guy. And he was touching me inappropriately before, I want you to know, like, make sure you're with someone like that. And it was never like, oh, he came up and just grabbed my boob, but it was, yeah. it was way too friendly, it was way too much. And going between three very separate scenes and seeing how the difference works like this this guy was an established uh, professor and so it was never going to get the um, the reaction it deserved from yeah. the first woman he touched and um, I even talked to them about your podcast you did with it was Tessa wasn't it about being Tessa angry Waters, yeah about yeah post post hoc rage she was feeling that yeah. In the in the moment, she just tried to laugh it off and diffuse it. And, ah, and then when she was talking to me, my friend was just going, fuck that guy. If I see him again, I'm going to elbow him. Yeah. And it, it was just... And in the same way, it's disappointing to a degree that we don't live in a rigidly controlled meritocracy. <laughs> a fascist <laughs> state meritocracy. But just because, again, like you network in comedy and you meet people and they help you get good opportunities and gigs. Now, you obviously have to be good enough to perform well because if you're not ready for those opportunities and you mess it up, you won't be asked back. So you do have to be good. Depends if you have access to drugs or not. Well, there's that as well. And it's the same thing with philosophy. (laughs) 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 Um, But yeah, like, you know, the lecturers will give the tutoring jobs to undergrads that they know or that they know better. And... um, and on one hand, that is a valid way, as valid a way yeah. to weed down an overly large exactly. group than as any other. But 
I often wonder if we would like to live in a pure meritocracy because a lot of the world, a lot of people justify their position in the world by reference to bad luck. Yeah. When, in fact, you know, it may not all be bad luck. It may be, you know, that they're just not good enough. I think that there needs to be... If you knew that where you were in society was where you deserved to be... <laughs> we're getting we're getting into some big claims. I think that there I think there's a place for a That would be heartbreaking. I think there's a place for a meritocracy that um is also defined by sort of like a Rawls original position type situation where you can get ahead to a certain degree on merit, but if you're not naturally good enough, we will look after you. Because a lot of a lot of merit is and that's a, that's a big thing. I really don't like libertarian theory. And mm. a big part about that is why should people be punished for their natural talents? Why should we mitigate that? Why should we against that? Why should we uh, take away their things that they rightly own just because they're more talented than someone else? It's, it's because, again, that's luck. Yeah. And you don't have any right to that. Well, equally, you know, there's that uh, you know, political point that gets made again and again of, you know, billionaires who don't pay tax. They drove their trucks to their factory on public roads. Mm. There is a certain level of that of of where you're born and the a- opportunities that you have are given yeah. access to. There's there's a fantastic quote. I forget exactly how it goes, but I think it was Gould yeah. or Jared Diamond, whichever one. It was like, I'm less interested in the workings of Einstein's mind and more interested in the fact that there are probably better minds that were working as slaves in cotton fields, effectively, yeah. and that there is always that level of, I suppose, unexamined. Um, skill or talent that like, it just it I, it goes without saying that I made my fortune my own and, it, and and I'm not saying it's not tough. No one is saying that it's always easy to become a millionaire. And well, e- I mean, the, way, the so reality is statistically the highest correlation with success in Silicon Valley is if your parents have enough money. I would say that's most places, though. I can't, I can't is the think thing. of many it, moguls that haven't inherited something. Well, this is the thing, because the, the, in theory, Silicon Valley should be the purest meritocracy there is, because it's just an idea. If you get an app together, if people like it, then it'll. you don't need to have resources. It's these people who, in theory, have no money. They're working out of garages. They're bootstrapping it yeah. uh, with the bare minimum. But they're working out of their uncle's garage. Yeah. It, it, that's, that and, theory and doesn't And the willingness to take that risk. So I was talking to a very good friend of mine the other day uh, who dropped out of school. And he, I said, oh, did you ever go for any further qualification? And, uh, and he said, oh, yeah, I got into this course. Uh, it was like a program through, like, the local council and I got into it and it was like a stipend and you studied. But then I got a job that paid more. So I took the job. Mm. And it's, it's that kind of deferred... That 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 sense of security in your, in the certainty of your success that allows you to keep yeah. pushing when your resources are low. Mm. That people who don't have family backing, that don't have yeah. a history of of financial security, are never going to take those risks because they don't know what it looks like. But even even I think the the the, the premise of like not even having to take that risk, but having the it's not a fair meritocracy because not everyone grows up in areas that has that gives them access to the idea of making your own app or the technical abilities to make an app or the ability to network with people that have apps. Like pure geography 
is a defining factor in how successful some people can get. And that's why, like, that's why poverty think is about systemic and ge generational. Yeah I, oh, yeah, I always think about this. Um, there's people who kind of manage in the slums somewhere to start selling pennies and then they end up, you know, with a m very small business somewhere on the back of a bicycle. Mm. And you think, how, how far would they have gone from a middle-class background? Yeah. Would they have just stayed where they were because they didn't have the fire of desperation or would they now be the richest person in the world? I, r I, reckon, I reckon they would have fallen back to the bicycle because that's what God would have wanted. <laughs> it's quite, everyone's where everyone should be. <laughs> yeah, it's bullshit. It's, and uh, that's, that's the thing that annoys me as well is it, that's that same ideology that we need to cut welfare to motivate people to get jobs. Fuck off. Most of those people, if they've been on welfare, it's been a token gesture of being on welfare because th that's the thing as well I struggled my parents were too rich to get on welfare so I had to work a job while I went to uni it's like, cool if you dropped out out of stress you didn't have to fucking worry like there are people that did have to worry did drop out and now they're homeless yeah you didn't have that worry you never had that sort of stress and that that's what annoys me with with this idea of meritocracy as it is a meritocracy isn't a libertarian society. I think it's a, I think it's a stringently socialist one because if all you're b basing things on is merit, then you need a way to actualize everyone's well, merit. Well, you know, I think it talent. would be you'd be closer to getting a meritocracy if you introduced the universal basic income. Yep. That would be actually if you introduce the universal basic income and no inherited wealth. Mm then you might end up with a society that looked a lot more like a meritocracy. Although, of, of course, there would be disadvantages and advantages of things like education and the That's kind of education that you get at yep. home. But that you, you can't ask someone to give up the advantages of a good family or mm. to love their children less. Uh, I don't think you have to, though. No, I don't think so. But I think that if you, you, you gave... You tax the motion. If you had a universal basic income and you took away that level of... of of fear. death fear, mm. really, which it is, where you, you're, yep. you're asking somebody if they fail to hit the absolute bottom of society, um, which is the theory of, of libertarianism, is that, you know, the higher the risk, the bigger, yeah. you know, I'm which yeah, I, I don't agree with. I don't think people make their best decisions when they're driven by fear and desperation. Fuck no, they make the worst decisions. That's why, that's why capitalism does it. That's why capitalism filters up wealth by that system fills us up it doesn't go the other way around because you can't make desperate decisions and then work properly into something you get locked into systems of trying to avoid that death yeah that's that's part of the issue that of it. The, the mythology of the sort of scrapper who who is driven by his you know history of you know a, a memory of of a childhood that was hungry mm. i think that's a much more that's an overblown myth and because it's yeah, totally. a it's a reassuring myth for wealthy people mm. <laughs> that the idea that, you know, that kind of poverty fuels ingenuity. Yeah, it fuels crime. <laughs> like, yeah. it doesn't... Th different things fuel ingenuity. That's the, that's the thing, is like we have plenty of people that are rich and successful still doing amazing things or wanting to do amazing things. Yeah. But you, like, you also have... and uh, We don't want criminals becoming innovative like they will if you're if you're desperate you'll find ways to survive yeah but that doesn't mean I, i'm gonna pull myself up on bootstraps and go get that job and work super hard so like, no, it's quicker for me to come up, fill this fill this void well particularly if the job itself isn't a living wage exactly. which i think is yeah. sort of horrifyingly weird yeah 
I mean, that's a that's that is a level of servitude or slavery, and it, it and, and and it's just it's just weird that on the other end of the spectrum, like the libertarian side of it, tries to argue very strongly that taxation is a form of slavery, and it, and Nozick made a one for one on that, and that's why Nozick should never be read. It's just he's it's it's a ridiculous claim, and and the thing is as well, and like Nozick's claim of no risk no reward because he was a big proponent of getting rid of the idea of the original position and all that sort of stuff um i I would love to do some sort of uh, social experiment where we ask the bottom part of society if they would like to have a society where they could risk it all and lose it all and be in the position that they're in yeah because i've and again i've never heard that partly because i don't think we would hear that but also because they don't get to write academic papers yeah only successful people get to go well i'd like to live in a society where i can risk it all and lose it of course you would. You've never lost it. You don't actually know what it's like. You wouldn't be saying it feels like slavery to get taxed because you've never been a slave. Well, also the idea that um, people would moderate themselves and sort of, you know, manage society. I think that would be sort of true. But the idea that an, in a sort of an anarchist or a libertarian society that things would work out for the best is refuted pretty strongly by the state of public bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> I had that thought just the other day. And say what you like, that people are making assumptions that someone else will clean it up. <laughs> In a very real sense, like, you're going to have to go back there mm. at some point, and there's no guarantee it'll be cleaned before you get back there. Yeah. And yet, people just shit on the walls. It like just, that's, what, that's what annoys me about libertarian theories, that smug assumption that anything less than a libertarian theory, just, it, it treats people like they're not inherently good. I think people are good, and that's why I trust people. That's why I think we should get rid of welfare, and that's why we should just have rich benefactors. Cause it would help, and people would do it. So they don't now, why would it change if they had I think less? a lot of those theories, the idea that people are would inherently give philanthropically to the lowest, which I think is probably bullshit. I think my, my theory, <laughs> and I have yet to really work it through, so feel free to tell me I'm an idiot, but... Uh, You're an... <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, the Id- is that a lot of the reason that capitalism has worked as well as it has so far... Um, is because there were still holdovers from feudalism. Have you heard me? I probably said this before. No, I don't that, think I've heard that, it. that part of the feudal system which preceded capitalism yeah. was, you know, these hierarchies of loyalty and um, sort of noblesse oblige to your your vassals and so on and so forth, and that those permeated our society even when we discarded them in name at least we discarded them we still had these aristocracies so we still had a lot of the structures as well as a lot of the ethos persisting into capitalism and those are starting to break down now so people don't feel loyal to their employees nor do they feel loyal to their employers and those kind of systems that kept the worst ravages of capitalism in check for the most part (laughs) let's put aside massacres in sort of southeast asia and so on but for the most part, the reason it's muddled along is because there were these kind of, A, theocratic ideas and, B, feudal ideas of sort of responsibility that are dissipating now. I've never really thought about that. It's a theory. Because, I mean, like, I'm coming from the opposite sort of side where unfettered capitalism was sort of running wild and then what's kept it reined in are unions and socialist agendas and things like that to sort of constrain. I think capitalism works when we've got checks and balances that we all agree on. Yes, like but the breaking up why do we all agree on them? Hmm. I think I think part of the reason... Well, I don't know if, if it is, but I well, think what part of mean, the like sense that the worker is owed something by his boss. Yeah. That's not a capitalist idea. 
and that's kind uh, of part of the reason that f- that that I think it is. Oh. Just for, like a, a capitalist can't beyond do monetary reward that the, oh, okay. that the worker is owed some care or duty of care. But I would say the workers fought for that with after capitalism took off. Mm. We workers weren't given much and that's why that's why getting weekends was a big deal that's why getting healthcare was a big deal but the reason that they were able to yeah fight back for those things was using things like religion yeah, and see, those I, feudal ideas I've, yeah i mean i've not thought about it like that you my can't initial argue reaction for those rights from a logical position no right. you can because we can't do the work without that and not only can we but not you can do, it. do the work without that you can do the work you just have to accept that some of us are going to die I mean, you so can the li- idea you can that human life has value is a religious idea. That's a big claim. <laughs> you're saying a lot about atheists with that claim. <laughs> I don't. Th- I. I mean, I think. I think you're probably onto something. And I, I mean, think, in terms of the arguments that they use. Yeah, that would be right. I'm just like the only reference I have for that argument is the unionist one, where the workers couldn't do their work. Mm. It was it was literally impossible, and we're more productive now. And studies continue to show that we are more productive as people when given more liberties in the workplace and given more freedom. And again, that's that libertarian idea yeah. that freedom actually involves. Those studies are of of <laughs> first world productivity. Even third world sweatshops work better when the workers there set their own agendas, and like n- the fighting for things obviously is an issue. But afterwards, the sweatshops produce better work and the, the feeling of going to work is more ingrained and it works better than servitude, which you could say is just a concession. It's just a concession that the capitalist makes to keep everyone in check. So it's like the, um, the hegemony of capitalism. And it's like, yes, of course, you're totally free. Buy what you want. Just keep producing this shit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you... You definitely, you might be right that the the reason why unions started and decided to fight back, and the reason why capitalists relented, was because of the throwbacks to because you could refer them back to this system. Look, I don't know; I'm not wedded to it as a theory, but, but I like, like it to, as a theory. It seems rather Eurocentric. I'd like to sort of think about how that works in Asian, African, South American cultures as well that had a different feudal era setup. Mm. And how they and their religious setup and whatnot, and yet they always, when capitalism comes in, they still manage to either get or want well, look the at, same outcomes. I mean, if you want to look at Japan, where I don't though. <laughs> <laughs> no God. If you want to look at Japan, uh, you have a relatively complete sort of transposition of previous hierarchical structures onto capitalist structures. And probably to the disbenefit of capitalism in that it's not, you know, like the head of the biggest bank in Japan refuses to take a large salary and drives to work and, mm. you know, catches the bus to work, all yep. of that stuff. I think there's more kind of carry through of that kind of feudalism t- and and f- the downsides of that kind of feudalism as well in that now it's still it's still incredibly difficult for a married woman to maintain a job because of expectations about again, mm. hierarchical sort of placement, which is one of the reasons why their birth rate is so low because people don't want to get married because they don't want to lose their jobs. Yeah. I just... I wonder, like, for the longest time, they were one of the world's strongest economies. Mm. So what type of detriment has that had on capitalism when it's clearly worked? Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying that it... 
is to the detriment of financial outcomes. I'm saying to the structures of capitalism, pure capitalism as it is, without any kind of... Oh, I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm saying capitalism works better when you have an adjunct moral philosophy. uh, Yeah, totally. And that it almost... But you're saying it's theor- theor- theocratic and I'm saying, feudalistic. I'm saying in Western society it's theocratic, feudalistic and unexamined. That people yeah, assumed yeah. that capitalism worked as well as it did because, because of, it, capitalism. of capitalism. Yeah. And I'm suggesting that it was boosted and bolstered and shored up in various places by philosophies. Uh, yeah, unexamined. Unexamined philosophies of yeah. non, well, non-financial good. Yeah, it would, it would make sense just because there was never a cut-off point. Like there wasn't a like signing of a Magna Carta type era where we'd, like there was that day that we look back and like, well, we, we've got rid of feudalism and here's yeah. pure capitalism. Yeah, yeah, Here we've we got go. rid of loyalty. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. there is no loyalty in capitalism inherent to the philosophies of capitalism. Yeah. There's only... There's, yeah, there's ways to maximise profit which could be certain ideas like that, but that doesn't requ- it's not required of it. No, and, and sort of the way that it's played out has shown us that it's... I think the issue in a practical sense then is that we won't go back to a th- like we won't go back to theocracies and feudalism even like even as a way to what what worked from that and what can we transpose into 2016 no, of course we're going to need to figure out other things we need to figure out another thing because part of Philosopher the problem kings. I think is that yeah philosopher kings yeah. I think part of the problem is that it has gone unexamined and people mm. assumed that capitalism was good yeah because it had all these kind of bolt-ons yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that's my theory. I think I think it I think it would I think it would hold It's as good as water. any other theory. <laughs> no. <laughs> there are some bad theories. There's some real good theories. Gravity? Oof. There's a, that's a good theory. Well, it's, if we're talking about scientific theories, someone uh, someone posted online the other day and was I can't believe it's 2016 and people still think that evolution's a proven fact. It's just a theory. It's just like that misunderstanding of that word really fucking just gets me annoyed. I can tell because you're speaking even quieter we've in a library. All got, we've all got Wikipedia. We all we all have had arguments on Tumblr or Facebook where we've used Latin. It's an ad hominem attack. We know what it means. Straw man, straw man, Fuck straw man. Exactly. You don't know what that means. <laughs> but I mean, well, look. The, I went to a really interesting um, panel at this conference. The AAP conference about philosophy communication and what it can learn from um, science communication. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I know you've said before that, and a lot of people say that comedians are modern day philosophers. Yes. And I would like to talk to you about that, but if we're running out of time, I would like to revisit the idea of dick pics <laughs> that we had <laughs> last time we had a chat when the audio failed, because I think that's more important. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, dick pics. Have you ever got one? Yes. Yeah. And un- numbers of them. Yes. Okay. In the last. My favorite one was the year? first one I got, which was uh, after a show which said "Good show!" exclamation mark dick pic. Like it was a little <laughs> thumbs up. I was like, it's not. <laughs> it's not flowers, you know. Like it's not. That's how many? W- do you know how many you would have gotten? Oh, uh, I would in my. Well, I don't know. Twenty-five, maybe. Okay. Yeah. I just I know because I mean. The only reason I want to bring it up again... I don't count and some of them I blank out of my memory. <laughs> That's an ugly dick. The, the only reason I want to bring it back up... No, every dick is beautiful in its own way. They're not. That's just, but it's that's just not, not true. It's not beautiful in isolation. No penis is beautiful and even in, in context, isolation. Please don't send me a picture to prove me wrong. Even in context, a dick pic 
makes a penis ugly. <laughs> it ruins it. They're the nicest yeah. penis. The nicest, smoothest it's penis. It's emotionally ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that it's like that mean teacher. Yeah, you're <laughs> an ugly person on the inside. Yeah. An, that dick is ugly on the inside. I think I mean, I was trying to make an argument for dick pics uh, the other day just because I'm contrarian occasionally and I, w- I just wanted to I was thinking about it as kind of an ultimate expression of vulnerability on behalf of a man, of men who are not taught how to present themselves as beautiful. Mm. Like, I mean, it's starting to become more body beautiful pressure on men, but nowhere near. We've got like thousands of years of art history that show women, you know, how to do beauty, like how to present themselves as an object in a beautiful way, like boobs and hips and curves and the lighting and the way you know how you look good as a female body. Guys don't yet. Um, and and guys don't have that language, that that mm. vocabulary at their disposal. But they want to, you know, if they see a beautiful picture of a lady, they're like, I want to reciprocate. How do I say in a picture, you know, you make my heart feel feelings. <laughs> I have nothing to show you. This is my dick. Yeah, this is my dick. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the most eloquent part of my anatomy. Um, <laughs> most eloquent part of my anatomy. And I mean, it's hard to it's hard to articulate in words how hard you make me. So I'm just going to show, show you. <laughs> Here it is. I and then cut and paste to a dozen other women. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, he's sitting there just having a wait. Just, someone replying. Numbers game. But, I mean, so that's my... If you send a dick pic that's to a hundred women theory. and that, one like, of I them admit that that theory is built on air and I'm not as attached to it as I am to the theory of capitalism and feudalism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's just that since we last tried, like this podcast and we talked about that sort of thing and and uh sammy mentioned maybe you know, sammy shy yeah um that, that he knows comedians that have jokes about how horrible it is to send dick pics who have sent dick pics yeah and i don't know whether that's because there is a different type there are two different types of dick pics in my mind there is the we're sexting and this is all i've got i'm sorry <laughs> dick pic but then there then there is just the a sad face drawn on yeah but there's the there's the tinder approach there's the good show thumbs up dick pic which i think is a different class of dick pic obviously and i'm assuming that the comedians that sent them were sending that second time whose response to good comedy is an erection <laughs> it was really good comedy i guess it was I so funny i, I mean it I, up. I, I, I didn't even feel assaulted by it although some you do mm. usually well, that's what I think it is. I think it's a power play thing. I don't think it is it's a... It's the flashing a teenager in the bushes. A f- uh, urge. Um, yeah. A f- Manifest. A friend, well, that, this is what I'm bringing back up is because at this conference, speaking to a lot of postgrads in, you know, mid to late 20s about how it still happens, like to them as women and like the creepy professor. There was also another professor that stood up at a... Um, at a, at a seminar or a panel or something and just made it about him and even though the whole thing was about women and it was just everyone was just fuming why don't you shut the fuck up like there is this it, it like networking and like the rest of it, it that still happens in philosophy which was disappointing but uh, a friend of mine um, who what just finished his master's. What did you expect? Everyone just to sit around in robes, eating grapes, thinking <laughs> yes. deep thoughts? Why else would I get into it? <laughs> I could lock myself in the ivory tower and never see any of you plebeians again. I was done with this. But it, it's just, it was... Morning spent wrestling nude, fr- afternoon spent thinking deep thoughts. Exactly. What could be better? But no, a friend of mine, Max, had the idea that it is a... It can be used as a type of attack... So mm. you send your, you know, hey, you're really beautiful. Hey, you're really nice. Hey, do you want to, why aren't you responding? It's a fuck you because there is inherently, whether they realize it or not, there's an inherent attack to it. Mm. It's like, you don't want to see this. Fuck, here it is. 
uh, and it's a it, it's a it's a sexual assault type of thing. Well, I mean, it's a similar. I mean, I was talk. Uh, I've probably talked about this on the podcast before. I feel I, I worry about that sometimes. I probably have, but I think it bears repeating, which is that that moment when someone yelps at you out of a car window or aggresses you in a small way, like or, you know, looms over you in a bar or mm. you know. Like touches your shoulder for just too long. Yeah, yeah. I had a guy w- like wipe sweat off my shoulder and lick it once. Just things like that. Okay, that's a bit more extreme. Uh, but all of those things are not just upsetting in themselves because what they do, the reason that you feel sick about them afterwards for a long time is because they're reminders. Yeah, right. And I don't know if they're deliberate, you know, the yelping at you or the making animal noises or the following you or whatever, all those things. I don't know if they're deliberately thinking about it, but what they're saying is... I could if I wanted to. Yeah, I don't think it's deliberate. You're only safe by my grace. It's saying that, it's reminding you of that. It's reminding you of your place on a real primal level. Yeah, I think think the men that do that are more concerned with themselves. Yeah, I don't even think it's deliberate, but it is that reminder. Mm. That is what they're doing. Yeah. Whether they think about whether th- what they're doing yeah. or not, what, well, that's the effect and that's the impact that it has on you. What they're doing from your point of view is different to what they're doing from their point from of view. From their point of the view, time. they're giving you a, a brief, sudden shock, yeah. which is funny for them to watch. Or, but I mean, I remember as a like 15, 16 year old that one of my friends did the same thing to like some girls, like called out something. I'm like, oh, damn. He's like thinking it's, kind of, it's just a compliment. Just letting you know. And I'm just going to have a laugh about it. And then we sort of walked off, and it was there. And she smiled. It was ah. And I've, also, I've I've read things about how men didn't realise that catcalling was like a horrible thing. And I think the person that catcalls thinks he's just giving like a quick compliment that's like full on, but that's just showing I'm kind of crazy. Is different to the guy that um, apparently this happened to a uh, one of my cohorts' girlfriends. He went to get the car. She was at the front of the pub. This is only two nights ago, and a guy pulled up and was just insistent about giving her a lift. And it was really scary. And she ended up calling her partner. And couldn't say anything. So that was scary as fuck for him. I can't imagine what that was like. But he was just there, just insistently. Why don't you, I'll just give you a lift. Come on, get in the car. I'll just, I'll, I'll take you where you need to go. What's the problem? I think he is different to the cat caller, is different to the other person. What they're all doing is giving you that reminder. Yeah, and also the cat caller forgets that his cat call, his singular cat call, much like ironic sexism from open micers is contextualised in not just open my experience by not hearing the same micers, thing again and again and again and again yeah. and again and again. So they think that, you know, you get it, they're a good guy. They assume that you can recognise that they're a good guy because they're a good guy mm. in their own head. And it's just this one-off contextualised in their whole experience of themselves as a good guy. Whereas for me, it's contextualised in my experience of hearing this or something like this three times a week for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And so when, when I talk about it as, as a, a f- feature of comedy, the kind of ironic sexism, it's not just that it's not funny, it's that it's really hack. Mm. Like it's quite boring, it's not an original move. Yeah. And that's the least forgivable thing about it for me. <laughs> As a comedian. Just be original, man. Just be <laughs> original. <laughs> it was it was weird this morning. I was watching um, clips of Daniel Like, you're going to send me a dick pic, put a moustache on it. Like Yeah, do something. Dress it up. Dress it up. Mariachi dick pics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. The, the, other, the other thing I wanted to ask about this is, like, an article was written the other day about, like, a woman in comedy. I was speaking. There's 
currently um, the Women in Philosophy conference happening, and I've been speaking to a bunch of different people. Also, uh, Karina from High Tension, a really good band, kicked someone out of her gig for groping a female fan in the mosh pit. She stopped a song, she made a big deal, kicked him out, wrote a big piece about it, people have been talking about it, and the only thing I want to get, so I'm going to hijack your podcast for my sake, <laughs> but like everything, we've, we've had the articles about what's going on, and I still think they're important to get here experiences because the more voices that are added that add up, the less men are inclined to sort of think it's just well, one. The off. less excuse there is for the cat caller who doesn't know. That's 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 it as well. Then there's also the claim of men making it worse, wanting to be allies and not sort of you know realizing what it is. Or like, I suppose that the thing of um, there's always those claims of oh he's 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 terrible. He does that all the time. But we don't. They don't really say anything about it or oh. he's a known offender or... Um, the creaky stare yeah. or whatever it's called, the broken step, I don't know. Yeah, you just don't, you avoid that one. It's on you to avoid it because we all know he's like that or men don't get called out by their peers on certain things. That happens in the comedy community quite a bit. There is one in the comedy community who I was talking with a friend about. This is awful. I'm going to talk about it on stage, but uh, he's such a creep. Like he's just a cartoon creep. Like he's so creepy. And, and and otherwise harmless in every way, except that, you know, if you got in his car, you probably wouldn't be safe. Yeah. But because he's so overtly creepy, no one gets in his car. And 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 I, I had this conversation with a friend of mine of like, should we warn girls coming in of this guy? And she was like, if they can't get over this guy, like he's the level one boss. <laughs> Like they're not going to make it in the rest of the industry. <laughs> and then she, then she said, Oop. Uh, "Then she said he's a perfectly nice guy if you don't let him rape you." <laughs> <laughs> Which is a fantastic. That's that's a fuck joke, but it's great. But that's that's the thing that I that the articles have now sort of gotten to a point of it's time for men to you know break it all down it's time for men to stand up and stop doing that but there's never yet much in the way of practical advice for men because I know from my own point of view like when I was talking to the women going to the women in philosophy conference I was making very clear to them they were making very clear to me I should be there I should hear it I should also sit there and shut the fuck up yeah don't ask questions it's not about you if you've got questions, maybe bring it up later with someone that you know better. Don't take our time away from us. Let us discuss this and you just witness how women can talk about things, how they feel about things, what they want to get out of these things. Mm. And I think that's a good first step. But then there's like, when you say like men should call things out or when you want men to help more, what does that mean? I suppose your point of view, mainly from comedy, like what, what would be helpful because I know, I think last time on the podcast we talked about how it would be, we need someone at a certain level in comedy to say it. Because it's very easy for guys to get frozen out in the same way women can get frozen out for just making a scene. So you'd need someone already established who can't be denied to come out and go, that's Name not acceptable. Names. Yeah. Uh, look, I don't know. I think the criticism of male feminists is that they're just doing it to get laid. Oh, protest pussy's the best. Uh, <laughs> eat a dick. Um, no. It's delicious. Uh <laughs> Go on, try it. Don't say no. Um, <laughs> the point that I was trying to make is that no one can accuse you of that if you're talking among men about those things. If it's guys talking about other guys and saying, well, what do we do when next time he crosses a line? We know this guy crosses a line. I've heard it from a female friend. You've heard it from your female friend. 
what do we do about this guy? Do we keep mm. an eye on him? Do we, you know, make sure that he's never alone? Like all of those things that we do of like, oh, he's here, better grab that girl. Yeah. You, keeping an eye on them. Or if you, I mean, if it's a scenario where somebody's being harassed in a mosh pit, then there's an obvious kind of physical imperative to separate people. That's what I was talking about with Max. My, um, but if somebody's clearly uncomfortable, yeah, then you just be there. Well, that's what, that's what I was talking hey, about. Hey, how um, you doing? El- Elka, my friend, was talking about the mosh pit. She's a metalhead and doing philosophy, and Max is the other philosophy guy. And just talking about like the fear of the white knight. And Elka was telling me that you get, you get you can get caught in expected sex spirals where you're being harassed by someone and someone comes along and helps you and you initially feel grateful. She has at least. Mm. And then the white knight's there. Then it becomes indicative. And he's just slotted in and it's like, oh, he's going he's gonna to do the same thing. Oh, he's going to do the same thing. And now he's got a cause to be my hero yeah. and to get sex out of me. Now I'm uncomfortable and the third person can come along and the spiral just happens. And so me and Max were talking about how like we just try to give looks across rooms because I... If I'm wrong and I uh, mistake a couple for a woman being uncomfortable, whatever it is, I'm a dickhead for a moment. Mm. I can live with that because the alternative is if I'm right and don't do anything, it's much worse for the woman. Yeah. I mean, there's ways of ways and means of interrupting, you know, if somebody is uh, yeah. aggressing, if, if it is, say, a boyfriend harassing his girlfriend and you come in and you go, hey, hey, are you all right? Then she needs to diffuse the situation. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's your immediate impulse. Uh, yeah. Whether by socialization or biology, your immediate impulse in that situation is like, hey, everyone calm down. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We'll talk about it later. I just... So you you want to avoid confrontation and conflict. So the way that you would come in as a third party to that conversation would be friendlier or and probably less explicit. Hey, how you doing? I think... Not, is this guy bothering you, ma'am? Yeah. Oh, I think I, th- I, just, I just thought then, though, that... Because all these situations are definitely so different every time, I think what would be more instructive for guys, because I do think for the lot of the, a lot of the time, the people that I've, the guys that I've spoken with that want to help, because there's guys that want to help, oblivious guys, and the creeps. Yeah. And I think it would be helpful to have the guys that want to help on board with practical instructions. Yeah. I don't think it's worthwhile. I think I've been asking the wrong questions this entire time of what do you do in X situation? What would you do in Y situation? Oh, they're different for this reason. And then I get you know your perspective on it. So you would do this. And then I have another friend who says, I actually, I would really want a guy to come up and talk to me. I would, And then someone else says, I really want someone to talk to him so I can get away. I think what would be more instructive is if the oppressed, with air quotes, whether it's women, people of colour, whatever it is, that you can you work with us, the guys that want to help, in figuring out ways of teaching us to read those situations? Well, that's the that's thing. The important what we bit. want is for you to read the situation. But then it's... So the qu- but that, but that read the situation in terms of figure out how to act. Because there's so many different ways you could act in well, so many it, different situations. Yeah, of It's course. a way of passing that information. You need to have emotional IQ to be able to... Yeah. But, but if it's a if it's a tense situation, if it's a guy sort of talking very loudly and aggressively to a girl, and you're not sure if he's her boyfriend or whatever, but the reality is that's not an acceptable way to behave in public. Or if he's a guy who's leaning in and being a bit gropey, and she looks like maybe she's not into it, licking sweat off your shoulders. Yeah. Again, you know that's a situation that's not publicly polite. So from just like a public politeness perspective. You know, you open it up. Is that yeah. how you, 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 you just guys should go up and go, sir, you're you acting just uncouth. Yeah, you, no, you just circuit break. You don't 
aggress, you mm. circuit break, whatever's going on there, she's feeling trapped or she looks like she's feeling trapped because yeah. that's often the situation, is you open the situation. I was about to say, that's what I was speaking You with. don't create a new situation. You yeah. just you just change, you just open it up. That's what a bunch of philosophy students have said is that what, what needs to happen is, we were talking about it in terms of almost a meritocracy, but spaces need to be open because at the moment we've got the default um, white male, uh, that, that's the default position. What we need to do is probably artificially open up uh, avenues so that other points of view become default. And in the same sort of way, like that's been my sort of approach is whenever I see situations like that at a club or gig or whatever, is just come in and distract almost. Yeah. Just be the be the guy's friend. I, I ham up how drunk I am. Oh, we're having a good time. And then if she she then has an opportunity to leave. Yeah, you if he just follows her, you can break. you can do that again. Then she's got more evidence to maybe go to the bouncers or something. And if she goes back, then it's like I guess I was wrong. And then I could be even more explicit. Just give that look across the room. Like, are you you good? Good. Yeah. Well, and if you, once you've circuit broken the situation, then you have an opportunity to talk to her or to him. And if yeah. you talk to her, again, this is highly gendered. I'm sure this happens with yeah. in other situations, but majority it tends mm. to happen with a, a guy and a girl not all situations not all situations <laughs> hashtag uh yeah well then you just ask her afterwards mm. is that do you know that guy and that's, that's or you know you quietly on your way to the bar you you say oh do you want to come yeah yeah and that's I, that's what me and max and alka eventually sort of and if she's not good if she then you go to him and you go hey yeah. man the the fear of that afterwards like if, if you were good and you get the yes we've gone out of our way to not be the creepy white knight. Yeah. Like just like put blinders up almost. Just like, oh, I'm I'm totally fine with you in that. You good. I'm not a hero. I'm just away from you now. See how far away I am yeah, yeah, yeah. making a show of that. It's just, it's... Hit and run rescue. Yeah. And it's, it's tough. But that's the thing. Like, I don't want to... I don't, I don't think it'd be helpful at all to have men with the idea that they can just rush in and help physically or otherwise and get aggressive, like, you know, circuit break in a way that... I, all, all I want to do is uh, open spaces in those moments that women can decide for themselves because what seems to be taken, being taken away is their autonomy in those situations. Yeah, so but what that's what's already been taken away. Yeah, so just trying to reassert that. Yeah, you, you, you can't grant them back their autonomy what you can give is space mm. and uh, safety yeah with your physical presence and your social presence because that's that's what's hard as well and that's why i think i thought at first it might be a bit asinine but almost like a um there was it the safe school yellow triangle hmm. you can put on your houses of like just knowing that there's enough guys that you could ask most guys at a gig Hey, yeah, I don't feel like comfortable with this guy. The safety pin that they're doing now in in London for if you're if you're a if you're a good guy if you're an immigrant you can hang out with me. It's just a safety pin like a straight like a re- like a reverse yellow star. Yeah, basically just a straight safety pin of yeah, like right. sa- safety. I'm a safe person. I'm not gonna. How long until that gets totally abused by someone though? But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. If you put like a safety man hat on. Of I'm like a good guy. I'm a good guy. White knight. <laughs> Of course, there'll be some yeah. asshole using it. I mean, I think, again, it's just, it's, it is a matter of humans being human mm. to one another. You know, if a lady seems offended that you've interrupted her conversation, halas, you know. Bow out. But that, that's, what I, that's what I said before. There's That means so little to me in the long term versus what could happen that I'm willing to lose face on that. Yeah. Like. That's because you're a good guy. I am. 
do you have my number? Where can people find you online? Um, are we out of time? We're done. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you about philosophy communication. No well, we can talk about it next time. That's something. <laughs> no, I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram. Most things, just if you search Philosophica, I come up. Um, I got that because it's eventually going to be a show name. Um, and I just decided to snap it up years ago so no one else could have it. Um, or Mitch Alexander. I'm on Facebook. Give me a like there. Post jokes and gigs and articles that I write. Uh, I write for... So if you like either any one or more of the following, <coughs> <laughs> heavy metal, stand-up or philosophy. philosophy. But not in terms of each other. No. I don't do much comedy about philosophy or heavy metal. My songs aren't funny or philosophical and none of my philosophical work revolves around... Actually, some of it revolves around comedy now, but none of it revolves around heavy metal. All right. Noted. Bear please, that in mind. Please don't send anyone dick pics. Don't send me. If you feel the urge to send Alice a dick pic after this episode, send it to me instead. Please do. That's how I Please do. <laughs> don't, actu- don't actively <laughs> send them, but... Please do. You're having tea with Alice.